Hi, I'm Leslie Easterbrook, and I'm the next guest, and happy to be here on On Screen and Beyond. On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now, here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zemrak. A great big thank you for all of you for joining us here at another episode of On Screen and Beyond, the weekly show that keeps you updated on what's coming your way as far as upcoming new movies, remakes, sequels, and TV and movie DVD releases, as well as our interview segment with a guest from the movie, TV, or music industry. This is episode 292 of On Screen and Beyond. I'm your host, Brian Zemrak, and this week, Leslie Easterbrook joins us. And of course, we all know Leslie from her time on Laverne and Shirley as Rhonda Lee. She was also in all those Police Academy movies that are so crazy, and she just did a, such a great job on that. We're going to be talking about that. We're going to talk about Rob Zombie, because she was in some of his movies, and uh, just so many interesting things. She even sang at the Super Bowl one year. So just so much to talk to her about. Hope you're going to stick around for that. That's coming up in a few minutes right here on On Screen and Beyond. Before we go into that, I want to thank everybody for listening to On Screen and Beyond. Uh, this last past week, we just had so many people increasing here. We're getting right up to that 100,000 people a day listening to On Screen and Beyond. We had a big increase in Germany. Now, I don't know if that's because Marlon Mason was on last week and she's going to be doing a show in Germany. Uh, I, I don't know, but we just had a great big increase from Germany. And also, we had a big increase in North America. That doesn't surprise me too much, but uh, you know, we thank everybody for listening. I hope you keep telling your friends, and we hope we can keep giving you some great guests coming your way. I have a nice lineup coming our way over the next month or so. And, of course, we just keep adding and adding and adding. So tell a friend, go back to onscreenandbeyond.com and look over all the guests. The 292 guests, more actually, because some we had double uh, guests on the show. And I'm sure there will be somebody there that they're going to see and they're going to say, wow, I want to hear this person, hear what this story is. So thank you for doing that. And uh, what do you say? we got a lot to do. It's time to get into Remake Madness right here on On Screen and Beyond. <laughs> Please hang up and try again. Remake Madness. It looks like a remake of the Patrick Swayze movie Roadhouse is in the works. Now, that wasn't a great big hit, but of course, Patrick Swayze did a great job in the film, and they're going to see what they can do with it this time. And the director of Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, will probably, possibly be directing the remake of Jacob's Ladder. And it started with Disney deciding to remake The Jungle Book with uh, John Favreau at the helm. Now, Warner Brothers says they will be remaking the Kipling classic, and they're going to be moving fast to get it out first. So we'll see what goes on with that. The Battle of the Jungle Books. That's it for Remake Madness. Coming up next on On Screen to Be On, upcoming new movies. Upcoming new movies, it looks like a biopic of the life of legendary football coach Vince Lombardi is in the works with J.C. Chandor of Robert Redford's All is Lost at the helm. And it looks like Dustin Hoffman and Steve Buscemi will join Adam Sandler in The Cobbler, in which Sandler plays a shoe repairman. And Dwayne Johnson will star in an adventure action film called the San Andreas, and it's about an earthquake 
and it's set for the summer of 2015. That's it for upcoming new movies. Next on On Screen and Beyond, we're going to take you down to Sequel City to find out what's coming your way as far as sequels. Sequel City, it looks like August 14th, 2015 is the date given for the release of the next installment of the Bourne movies. But actually, this fifth Bourne movie will follow his colleague, Aaron Cross. And Mad Max Fury Road, the sequel to the Mad Max movies, has been given a May 15th, 2015 release date. And it looks like Tom Hardy will take over the starring role originally played by Mel Gibson. And Winona Ryder says she would be interested in coming back for Beetlejuice 2 if it should happen. That's it for Sequel City. Coming up next on On Screen to Be On, what's coming your way as far as TV on DVD? TV on DVD, March 25th, Julia Louise Dreyfus lands on Blu-ray, digital download, and DVD in Veep, the complete second season. And Trem, the complete series, and the complete fourth season will both be available on January 28th in all formats. And it looks like Nurse Jackie Season 5 with Edie Valco comes to DVD and Blu-ray on February 18th. That's it for TV on DVD. Next on On Screen to Be On, what's coming your way as far as movies on DVD? Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Movies on DVD. Well, it looks like Lee Daniels' The Butler will arrive on Blu-ray and DVD on January 14th. And Trace Atkins and Ron Perlman star in The Virginian coming to Blu-ray, DVD, and digital download on January 7th. Now, this is a remake of the famous movie and TV show and novel. So we'll see how that is. And, of course, Kicks Brooks of Brooks and Dunn fame will arrive on DVD in Ambush at Dark Canyon on January 14th in limited release and on March 18th nationwide. That's it for Movies on DVD. Next on On Screen to Beyond, it's time to take a peek at what's coming away as far as TV time. TV time news. Well, The Blacklist has pushed up to a full season. We told you about that, and that was a little while back. And now NBC says it has been renewed for a second season. Sci-Fi Channel will give us Dominion in 2014. It continues where the 2010 film Legion left off. And NBC is developing Nemesis, the final case of Elliot Ness, as a miniseries. Now, it's a book, but it's gonna be, they're going to make it into a miniseries. And the producers are the same guys who gave us The Sound of Music Live with Carrie Underwood. That's it for TV Time. Next on On Screen to Be On, we're sitting down and talking with Leslie Easterbrook, of Police Academy fame and Laverne and Shirley and so many other things that she's done. We're going to talk about 
Rob Zombie. We're going to talk about uh, singing at the Super Bowl. It's all coming up next. Leslie Easterbrook right here on On Screen and Beyond. Joining us today on On Screen and Beyond is an actress who has done so many different roles, but many of us remember her for her role as Rhonda Lee on Laverne and Shirley, or as Sergeant, Lieutenant, Captain, Debbie Callahan from all those crazy police academy stories. It's Leslie Easterbrook. Leslie, welcome to On Screen and Beyond. Thank you, Brian. I'm thrilled to be here. You know, Leslie, I I was so thrilled when I spoke with you and you accepted to do this interview, uh, it was just so nice of you to do this for us. Oh, listen, this is an opportunity. I enjoyed talking to you and I thought, wow, we can extend this conversation and in- include other people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's so much to talk about. And I mentioned two of the roles that everybody remembers you for, but you've done so much other stuff. And I'd like to start off first when you first knew that you wanted to be an actress. When was that? Oh, my gosh, what a good question. I have to think. I have to think. Um, I think I kind of, almost my my first conscious memory of uh, going to a movie. I grew up in a little town in Nebraska in the middle in a dusty little farm and town of about 300 people, and we had one movie theater. It was like Last Picture Show. The, hmm. theaters were, the theater was only open on Fridays and Saturdays, and we would get, of course, not first-run movies, whatever, but... It was so much fun to go to that little theater. It was all in the black and white because I'm, you know, the older person. And it was black and white, and I wanted to disappear in the screen. I wanted to be all those different people that I was seeing. And so I would do crazy things. They, they, in the towns, all the people from the farms would come in, and I was from a farm, but my grandma lived in town. And they would bring in food and set up tables on the main street on Friday night and talk and talk and laugh and party. And that was the social life in that little town. And uh, so I could go to the movie theater, buy my little ticket, and then I could go out and I could go into the outhouse. This was, they only had an outhouse. They had a bathroom inside. <laughs> and I would sneak into that outhouse and I, and I would wait. And I'd sneak back in because my parents were busy, you know, socializing. I would sneak back into the movie theater for free, not realizing it was illegal, and watch the movie again. And we used to have um, newsreels back then, too. And it was fascinating to see what was going on in the world. And then all of a sudden... The movie would come on, and I'd be able to escape into a thousand different characters in a thousand different movies. Mm-hmm. And it felt like, you know, with not yeah. that many movies. But that wasn't the way I spent uh, my Friday nights for years when I was just really little. And I think that I wanted to be in the screen so badly that finally I translated that to, well, that you need to be in the movie first. You can't just sneak into somebody else's life and be all these people and wear all these different clothes unless you study something that could possibly get you a job. So that really, I think, was my motivator. I started out as an opera singer because I began to sing and I was a musician. And when I finally got my first equity job, which is theater, the theater union, uh, it, they actually paid me. And I said, this is the most wonderful thing in the world. It's like I'm sneaking onto that screen. I'm inside of it. And one thing led to another, and, you know, film and television came along. But theater has always been a big part of my life. And I know it was being, you know, introduced to it in that kind of uh, quiet, um, you know, Midwestern environment mm-hmm. and seeing that there was so much more world out there. 
So that's my story. That's when I knew I wanted to do it. Of course, you started on stage, you said. Yeah. But when you finally made it to TV or movies, which was first, TV or movies? Well, my first job in, in uh, you know, basically on camera was a movie. And I, I was doing a Broadway show called On the 20th Century. And I was a replacement. I'd come in to cover the star and play a small role in this Broadway show. It was my second Broadway show. And there was a casting director there one night when I came out of the theater. And she said, you know, I'm, I want some some extras and maybe a silent bit or something. Would you want to work on a movie? And I said, you bet. And so the next day, I had to, I had to get up at 6 o'clock. I'd been in the theater. I think we had two shows the night before. And got on a bus and went to Queens to the Astoria Studios. And it was a film called Just Tell Me What You Want and being directed by Sidney Lament, of all people. And they gave me a nurse's outfit, and they put this little tag on me. It said Cookie, like my name was Cookie. Mm -hmm. And I sat with all of these people. I didn't really know they were all extras, but we sat there all day. Nothing happened, and I ended up going back to the theater, and I still hadn't been called in to work. So I did my play again, and I got up again at 6 o'clock in the morning and went to Astoria Studios. And I remember sitting in that group of people, and all of a sudden the the uh, casting director, or whoever she was, maybe the AD, probably the assistant director, came out and said, uh, uh, hey, uh, I need I need the nurse, I need the nurse. And I stood up, you know, and I said, I think I'm the nurse. And he said, well, come on back. And I'm walking down this hall. This man comes charging up to me. He looks at me and goes, hey, Cookie, can you talk? And I said, way too much, most people tell me. And he said, you're on. So he put me in this room with Alan King, who was in a hospital bed, and and uh, I was supposed to do something like tucking in his sheets or whatnot. And, and they gave me a line, and it was, you know, uh, just kind of a, a, a sarcastic line. And I did it, and we did it a couple of times. And he let me go, and he said, hey, Cookie, that was great. Well, that was my first appearance in the movie. And all of a sudden, they transferred me over to the cast area where I got better food. And <laughs> I was treated like I was a member of the cast. And I just had the best two days. And got to work with City Lumet in my very first movie. Jeez. And that actually, the film didn't do too well, but they screened it. It was a Paramount film. And at the screening, it was the only laugh in the movie. Really? And those casting directors are part of the reason that I had so many auditions and actually got the role of Rhonda on Laverne and Shirley. And that was television then. Uh-huh. But they remembered me from, you know, then, hey, you know, you're fresh or something. And <laughs> they decided that I should play Rhonda. So it was kind of, it was kind of a miracle in a way. Hmm. So you didn't even have to uh, uh, audition for uh, Laverne and Oh, Shirley? I did. I had, I had six, I think six or seven auditions for that. I mean, I went through the mill, but I had no idea there was anybody pulling for me. Ah. You know, I had a general audition with the casting director, and then he had me come back and read again. And after that, it went pretty well, and he said, well, I think, why don't you wear something sexy next time? And I went, sexy? Oh, I, I just don't see myself that way. He said, no. He said, you're an actress. You see yourself. I went, you're right, you're right, you're right. So I came back and auditioned for Gary Marshall and Penny Marshall, and then there was another, then they had the casting people from Paramount were there, and finally they sent me to ABC to the network auditions, and, and it was Eileen Graff and Joanna Kern, both who had big careers on television. Mm, and yeah. We became friends, you know, waiting to go do that audition. And I got the part of Rhonda, and I was thrilled to death. And I thought, how do I play this sexy girl? I've never played sexy before. Well, two weeks later, before I had a chance to start, there was a SAG strike that lasted five months. And so I couldn't even start. Then five months went by, and I did a play. And at the end of the five months, they called me in for yet another audition on the set. 
of Laverne and Shirley. And I, I thought, I'd already been told I had the role, and suddenly I had to go audition again five months later. So I went to that last, you know, audition, mm-hmm. thinking, well, this is just not going to happen because nobody's really happy with me. And two days later, I, I was told I had the role. Huh. And, I mean, at that point, I didn't care what it was. I just, was, I just wanted someone to say yes. Yeah, yeah. And it was the beginning of, sort of the beginning of a career, if you will. You know, I mean, it's been going on for 40 years. Right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, 30 years since the first Police Academy movie. Oh, yeah. And Jeez. it's always that luck of the draw. And I can't ever thank Joy Todd, that casting director. I don't know if she's still casting. She was partners with Fern Champion. And Fern Champion and Pam Myers were, were partners when they cast the first Police Academy. Ah, okay. So basically, that night at the theater, when Joy Todd said, would you please come out and be an extra for me, turned into... Laverne and Shirley, and then turned into Police Academy because it was Joy's ex-partner, Fern. Yeah, wow. Who was the casting, you know, force behind the first Police Academy. Hmm. And it just, you know, but that's the way it always is in anybody's profession. It's yeah. when you least expect it, the opportunity arises. Yeah, yeah, and you and never know. This <laughs> and I just finished with Fern had me do a table read of a new movie that I hope gets made. It's really a good script. Um, I came in from Rhode Island, where we met, mm-hmm. and uh, when I met you, Brian, and, and came in from Rhode Island, she asked me to do this thing, and it was the very next night, I was exhausted, and I thought, but here I am doing a table read for the producers of a new script, and it's Fern Champion, all these years later, hmm. <laughs> all these years later. Wow. I mean, there's some there's some gifts that just keep giving. Yeah, and I loved it. You know, they gave they gave this wonderful dinner, and then we all read the script. And Mary Lou Henry was reading the lead. She was wonderful. G. W. Bailey, who did all the Police Academy movies with me, mm-hmm. he read uh, the opposite her, and I was just doing four or five little parts. I was just you know different characters, some young, some old, um, and I thought all the history that's in this room that is, we're not even talking about. You know, so, and the, and the, and the producers then gave us these little credit cards, and I thought, wow, this is nice, like twenty bucks. I didn't expect you to pay. It's a table read. I would do that for nothing. And I went, and I because you have to activate them. Mm-hmm. I checked it out, and it's like three hundred bucks. <laughs> I mean, I never have I had such a generous table read. You wow. know, wow, that's nice. <laughs> because we do that because we love what we do, and we want to see writers get their scripts produced. And so if you can make a difference and you can help out, you do it. Wow. So this was just, I thought, Fern, is just, she just keeps paying off. <laughs> hmm, that's great. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. And we're still alive and in the business, and that's the blessing. Yeah. <laughs> now, on Laverne and Shirley, it seemed like a very crazy and fun cast of people. Yeah. Behind the scenes, was it was it like that? I mean, that's the impression we got. Well, the... Um, I, I think the impression is ultimately what was what drove the show, and that was the fact that everybody was really sort of thrilled to have a good job. But what had happened is there was there were there was there was friction that was going on at that time. Oh yeah. And I just you know I came up to the theater, and in the theater you never get involved in that. You know your job is to be where when someone calls you, you stand there. Right. When someone tells you what to do, you do what you're supposed to do. You try to do your best. And then you go back to wherever it is that you, I had a dressing room on the set. I missed all the friction. I just, you know, my instinct and also my training in the theater is you let people work out their problems. Yeah, it's probably the best because thing to do. Because if you say something on one side or the other side and you try to buck anybody up, 
uh, it's going to backfire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you get involved in something that isn't any of your business. Yeah. But yeah. I knew that there was an underlying kind of unhappiness, and I just thought those people were the luckiest people in the world. Yeah. To have a steady job where you make a decent living, and you're reaching millions of households. Oh, geez, yeah. <laughs> you know, you want people to see your work. My gosh, you can't ask for a better ticket than that. Yeah. Yeah. So that, and then the last season, you know, uh, is when Cindy left. Cindy Williams left. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and the, the guy that she married that wouldn't let her come back to the to the to the set because she had to work too late when she was pregnant or whatever uh, the situation yeah. was. It's so many years ago. It was an acquaintance of mine, and we just that just whole thing just broke my heart. Yeah. You yeah. know, not to have Cindy because I think the chemistry between those two girls is historic. Oh yeah, incredible. that's for sure. Jeez. Yeah, and I loved them both. Yeah. You know, so that that was really hard on everyone when Cindy left, and she was missed terribly. Oh, yeah. Um, I think the show went on. Penny's brilliant. She could carry any show. But that wasn't that wasn't the premise of the show. Right, yeah. The premise was the two girls. So I'd never seen anything like that happen. And, and uh, I, it, was, it, was just, it was kind of crushing, but it also was a lesson about the industry, mm-hmm. is that you can't take any of it for granted. Yeah, yeah. You know, and... And you just, you don't want to be the owner survivor. You just don't want to be the, you, you, you just, you want everybody to survive a positive experience. Yeah. Yeah. And we actually yeah. had um, one of the showrunners from the show, uh, Mark Rothman. Do you, did, was he you on? You had Mark Rothman on the show? Yeah, Mark, Mark has been on the show, oh, he, yes. He's hysterical. Mark, yeah. Mark yeah, is one of the funniest writers he's ever lived. Yeah. yeah. He, and he is, and he is, he is, sometimes Mark is such a downer that it makes you laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, Mark, is, Mark is just great. I did a play with Mark. He wrote a play, and we went to Albuquerque because somebody wanted to video the play, and so we read the play on video. And I remember Mark, he drives terribly, and I thought I wasn't going to make it from the plane to the to the, to the video the place where we where we did it. But he wrote a play. It was a really good play. We read it together, and then he just uh, drove me to the airport and put me on the plane, and he stayed. And I went back to L.A., and I thought, that's the oddest job I ever had. <laughs> <laughs> but I love Mark. I love Mark. Yeah, He's yeah. part of that whole Michigan that you know that 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 show was. Yeah, yeah. And truly funny. Yeah. As far as Police Academy, and now you've told us basically how the people knew you and they wanted you on the the film. Um, but uh, did you have to audition for that one also? Well, yeah. I mean, it's just very recently in my career where I, I, I'm not doing any auditions, and I feel like something's wrong with the process. <laughs> you know, if someone just makes you an offer, you go, well, why would you do that? Right. <laughs> you need to see if I can do this. Um, yeah, I auditioned for, for Police Academy, and I that was a weird one, you know? I'm not going to tell you too many stories, so then I launch into them, right? Um, I, the character part that came to me, the, the, the scene that came to me was, sort of eye-opening, and I looked at it, I thought, I've never played a tough woman. Mm-hmm. You know, I play all these different characters, but I've never really played this tough cop. And uh, I had to work on it. I, I rented a studio from my acting teacher friend and brought my ex-husband in, who's like 6'8", and I had to intimidate him. And we worked, we worked actually three hours one afternoon, and the next morning we worked for about two hours, and finally he said, stop, stop, I believe you. I believe you. <laughs> And so I think it was that afternoon, I went home and I got myself ready, and I went to the audition at Warner Brothers for uh, the for Palmy's Landscape, our producer, and Hugh Wilson, our director, and 
<laughs> of course, the same thing happened with them. As I launched into the scene, and all of a sudden, they sort of stood up and started backing up into the wall. And I said, oh, my God. Oh, no. Oh, no. And they said, cut. That's fine. You know, thank you very much. And they let me go. And I was walking down the stairs from the office, and I thought, I scared them. I wasn't supposed to scare them. Oh, no, I'm not going to get this. I want this job. And it turned out I didn't. You know, they liked me. They sent me the script. And then later I found out it was, you know, that Fern is the one who'd called me in. And, and uh, They were so afraid. Like, they, they figured you'd I, hurt them if you didn't get the job. <laughs> I, I thought maybe I scared them into it rather than out of it. <laughs> I don't know what it was. But everything, I mean, the, the things that have been sort of momentous, like I, I did a film called The Devil's Reject, and mm-hmm. that was in 2004, I think we shot that, with Rob Zombie. Yes. And the material that I had to, that I played, and the, the scene and the monologue that I got, kind of a monologue, I guess, but mostly a scene, when I, I was in New York and I got that over at Fax Machine, and I looked at it, and I thought, this is incredible material. So I flew back to L.A. the same day that um, I had the audition for the Devil's Reject, and I auditioned for that, and got that part, which was an, kind of an astounding career changer at the, at the time. Um, and then Rob Zombie put it on the the um, making of the Thirty Days from Hell. Is my audition is on that that DVD, mm-hmm. and I thought I'm still auditioning, you know. <laughs> But I, I have done the world's worst auditions. I want you to know that there is a knack to doing it, and you either have it or you don't on a daily basis. Mm, really? There are days when you feel so good about something and so right, and you go in and you can't, and literally you can't get words out of your mouth. Huh. Either you get nervous or it means too much or you ate something wrong for breakfast or you're too much traffic driving over. Um, but it's kind of nice to be in a position now where people contact me. Mm, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I just signed a contract on uh, Monday to do a film in March in Denver, and well. it's just kind of astounding. You know, they just they just make you an offer. Huh. You know. Yeah. And it's, I feel like, wow, I'm swimming with the big fish now. <laughs> Now, how was it working for Rob Zombie? Now, I, I know him from his music mostly, and of course, he's done some movies a lot lately. Um, yeah, but he he seems like a, such a scary guy. <laughs> oh, he, well, you know, he's kind of scary, unconscious, and I'm certainly glad I'm not privy to that. <laughs> but he is just as nice as he can be. Really? Yeah, he is. He's nice. He's smart. He, you know, many times on the set, you're working with the director, and you, and you need all the help you can get. And some directors are a little bit um, vague mm-hmm. in what they tell you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you'll ask them, can I try? Should I do? And they'll go, uh, I don't know, I don't know. Oh, it's Rob, boy. I mean, he tells you exactly what he wants. And then if you have ideas, he thinks them over. And it's either yes or no. Yeah. He's very specific, friendly, uh, kind. You know, we have a, ca- a cast member, um, Matthew McGrory, who played Tiny in House of a Thousand Corpses, which I wasn't in, and then in Devil's Rejects. And the night before we started filming anything, Rob had a great big barbecue in his backyard uh, in Hancock Park. And he was flipping burgers. He had a little maple. I mean, he's just an amazing man. Hmm. And that night, he said to me, I was, he has a little shed back there where he had jukeboxes and, you know, like kind of classical stuff. And I was going to go in and take a look and see what he had back there. And he just he, he took my arm and he said, 
I want you to meet somebody who I think is an extraordinary human being, and he's going to play your he plays your son Tiny, and he, he has giant syndrome, and he's not doing very well. And I suggest you get to know him as well as you can. Hmm. And at that point, we're standing in front of Matthew, and he introduces me to Matthew, and I'm in a state of shock, right? Yeah. So I just said, "Hi, Matthew. How are you?" He goes, "Oh, you're going to play Mama." So I sat down next to him, and we had about a half an hour conversation. And he was an attorney. He was only 32 years old when he died. And uh, we bonded. Mm. And so on the set, we'd be screaming, and we'd like trailers. You know, we're outside at this ranch, and we'd go, Mama, we're tiny. And we'd, then I'd find him, and we'd say, we spent time together. Yeah. yeah. We, I, just, I just thought he was the greatest guy. And I can't thank Rob enough. But how many people would have the insight to say that kind of thing. Right, yeah. That yeah. they get to know this man. Mm. He's valuable. Yeah. Huh. And, I mean, I intimidated me, and then I look at him, and he's huge, you know? And right, yeah. I was a little frightened, and I thought, well, I don't want to say that I just found out you're not doing well. And so we never talked about that. But Rob gave me a huge gift. Hmm. Yeah. And that's the kind of guy he was. I mean, if you'd ask him, why he, Sherry and I, Sherry, his wife, and I, we asked him, about a scene that we were doing in, in, in Devil's Reject. It's before a big shootout, and we're hiding. We have masks on our heads. And, and you know, we said, to, we said to Rob, we said, you know, we're mother and daughter. We really love each other. We may be bad people, but we really love each other, and we want to say something before this starts. And Rob just turned around and walked out of the room, and he was gone for about 10 minutes, and we're still, we're sitting, I'm sitting in front of this thing, she's sitting in front of the stove, and they're lighting the room, and we're just talking to each other, and suddenly he comes barreling in, and he hands us both a piece of paper, and he wrote this wonderful theme that we have with each other before the shootout. And wow. instead of saying yes or no, he just went out and wrote and did exactly it, yeah. what we needed. Wow. But in his words. Huh. I mean, I've, I've not worked with, with anyone, and I've worked with a lot of good people yeah. and people that I think are terrific, but I've not worked with anyone that kind of gave me a sense of security, the kind of security that, that you need when you're acting, hmm. uh, especially when you're taking chances and a lot of it's physical. Yeah, yeah. That Rob gave me. Huh. He's yeah. really, he's extraordinary. Well, you know, because of his music and, and the way he, he, you know, the show he puts on, he, he gives this impression, but then when, you know, like you get to re meet the real person and it's, it's just so much different from what the rest of us see, you know? Yeah. And he doesn't want you to see it. He probably, if he knew I was telling the story, he would probably be upset with me. <laughs> right? I mean, it's like the, the image buster. Right, yeah. But yeah. He, there are so many, in fact, anybody who's listening to this, there are so many people inside of all of us. You know, every emotion we have, actually inside of it, there's a character attached to that. Mm -hmm. And he chose to, in his career, to let out a certain side of his personality. Yeah. And it just happens to be an incredibly creative one. Mm -hmm. So his onstage persona is just amazing. Yeah, yeah. His writing is amazing. His painting is amazing. His filmmaking is amazing. Mm -hmm. But here's this warm, sweet guy flipping burgers. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I think, I think it's, it's kind of indicative of a lot of the things I've been saying, I mean, even about me wanting to be an actor, when I'd look at that movie screen as a little, I mean, as a, a five-year-old, and think, I want to live in there. Yeah. And then we start to compile ourselves as we grow up, and we sort of see as trial and error, what works, what doesn't, what gets the desired effect. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, just taking it to a, to a, to a different level, yeah. you know. Yeah. Someone like Rob. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, on Police Academy, after you did the first one, did you know there was going to be a second one? Did you, you know, <laughs> did they tell you, okay, we're going to do three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ten, twelve, fifteen? <laughs> oh, God, that's a funny question. It's just so good. Absolutely not. I mean, we knew, when I read that script, I, I fell out of a chair laughing at one point. We knew it was funny. Um, we had a ball making the movie. We bonded like I've never bonded with any other group, you know, in, in a company. We knew we were making ourselves laugh. We were we would come to the set for other people's scenes, that kind of thing. Um, we knew there was something special. We had no idea it would translate to an audience. Hmm. Yeah. And then a little, a lot of it was a little irreverent, if you will. Yep. <laughs> It made us all laugh every day on the set. It, after after work, when we'd all hang out at the Holiday Inn, you know, drinking Canadian beer in Toronto, <laughs> we knew that we were we we were bonding. We knew we were loving it, but we just had no concept of what an audience would think. Yeah, you never know. And we were just so in process. In, in the process. And I remember when I got a call from David Graff, bless his soul, who passed away a number of years ago. But David played Tackleberry, and we were all real close. And he called me at home one day, and he said, you're not going to believe what they're doing. Yeah, what? Why? Why? He said, they're they're, they're painting the police academy picture, the poster, on that big wall at Warner Brothers. (laughs) Well, it was always, that was a sign that you had a hit, right? Right, You thought you had a hit. (laughs) We're going, huh, huh? So uh, there were 10 of us or more. We got in our cars in all different parts of Los Angeles, and we drove to Warner Brothers. With our little cameras, you know, we had Polaroids. We, this was before cell phones, right. right? And we took pictures of each other reaching up to the scaffolding, you know, for the painting that they were doing. I mean, we were so amazed that they were just painting a poster. Mm-hmm. So when that thing took off like it did, it was the biggest surprise of my life, certainly, certainly career-wise. Just you know, anything I've been involved in in the business, it just shocked us. Oh, I'm sure. Geez, yeah. Yeah, every Warner Brothers was surprised. <laughs> I mean, nobody knew that this was going to. And to go international, I've done so many press junkets internationally. Uh, just, just amazing. Yeah, and your character evolved from, like I said earlier, from uh, sergeant to lieutenant to captain. And <laughs> yeah, they just didn't quite know what to do with me. <laughs> <laughs> what? What is this? What is this? You'll be you know, pressed soon. <laughs> Well, I got to go out on the street, you know, and be a cop. And, you know, I started off as a teacher. And it just, it was a wonderful, those years were just incredible. Hmm. They were incredible. Now, has, I had heard rumors that there were going to be another police academy. Have you heard anything of that? Well, I've actually talked to the producer, and they've had a couple of scripts, um, a couple, you know, about 10 scripts, and they've done rewrites and whatnot. And a couple of times, not too long ago, they were greenlit, which means they're going to be made. Right, yeah. And none of us really know who's in it or what's happening or, you know, none of us have read it. 
and then all of a sudden it goes on the back burner, and it's New Line now that that uh, is going to be doing it, and they're a subsidiary or whatever connected to Warner Brothers who has the rights to it. But they were doing the Hobbits, and that was they were getting more expensive and more expensive, and so it ha- nothing's been greenlit yet, but it's it's been in that process for a long, long time. Yeah, that's what we heard. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, it would be great. I mean, it'd be great. It'd be, it would be painful to have them do one and you know, and not be in it. Right. Yeah. But on the other hand, I mean, I've done six out of the seven, and I missed the second one because I was doing a different film, another film, and so happy to go back on number three. I've had, I've had my great joy. You know, I've had my treat of being able to do those. So it's not like I could, I think, oh, I'm just, you know, fed up. I wouldn't. I would be dejected a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, disappointed, but I can't be unhappy. Yeah. I would just, I would, I would love to see them make twenty more of them. Yeah, we'd be <laughs> disappointed though not seeing you in it. <laughs> oh, I'm not sure anymore. <laughs> oh no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure if Grandma Callahan is the one you really want to see. So, with Police Academy, did you have a favorite one of all the ones you were in? Well, I my favorite is the first, and of course it's because it, it it was no it was not PG, and they they changed them to PG, and it's not like I learned dirty jokes or anything. It's just that I think that when you can be a little bit more adult, that you can be a little more um, what's the word overt? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, and you can do more. I mean, the podium scene with Lassard, I just <laughs> you know you can't do that in a PG movie. <laughs> but that, there was, that was, that was a song. funny scene. That was a very funny scene. And, Insanely funny, and 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 I, so many law enforcement people that I talk to or are in it say that they they do that at, at graduation, and they all still camp on that that particular scene. And the fact that that the police officers are able to laugh at our movies, mm-hmm. we thought that they'd hate us, you know, making fun of them. But we weren't making fun of them, right? You've got to have some humor if you're in those tight, ticklish situations. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you're the guy that's supposed to go out and save the day, well, you may wake up with a little apprehension. So I think, you know, anything can happen on any given day in any city, right? True. So I think I found out that, that they get through it with humor. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. And that was a wonderful lesson for me to learn. Yeah. You know, the, the humanity of the people that you think are simply like stones. Yeah. Now, They're yeah. not. Now your character, you know, was so rough and so, uh, you know, in command demanding. Of, you know, of everything. You were, you were, you were the boss, and That's right. uh, with that role, uh, you had a, a very fondness for guns. <laughs> yes. Now you actually are a person who who uh, shoots guns, right? Yeah, and I, you know, it was sort of saying, I never really thought about doing it. I was That was a character I was playing, right? But I was injured on a Police Academy video. I think we did it between number four and five. And by, by a camera operator having me put the gun down by my, the starting pistol for a race, down by my ear so he could get a nice shot of the pistol and my face. Mm-hmm. And nobody gave me an earplug. Oh, jeez. So I broke my eardrum. And... You know, that was blood coming out of my ear. I had to go to the emergency, and I went, wait a second. Why am I using a firearm, even with a blank, and I don't know how to shoot? Mm-hmm. It makes no sense. Yeah, yeah. We should all have shooting training, because this is people, John Eric Hexham died on a television show with a blank. Wow. You know, this was before, I think, the um, most recent. At any rate, I decided I was going to go learn to shoot. So I didn't expect to fall in love with guns, but... 
I thought I have to have a respect of it, of this. You know, I have knowledge and respect for a firearm if I'm going to be carrying one on my hip. And, you know, working with others that are doing this. And if we don't have people on the set that can protect us, we have to be able to protect ourselves. So that's when I went and took some lessons. And an actress friend of mine got me involved in this celebrity charity shoot. And I tried a shotgun, and I was terrible. But, boy, was it fun to hit a target. Oh, my goodness. And I, I got hooked. So are you a good shot now? I'm good with a shotgun. I'm not particularly accurate with a handgun. (laughs) But don't tell anybody you watch this police academy. Uh, But I started competing at the shotgun shooter. I got very, very interested and shot really all over the country and several times outside of the country, but always for charity events, Hmm. you know, where you'd put a team together and people would donate and you know, and always for charities that I believed in. And I did this, I I have a California medal you know, for the wow. state medal. Yeah. In my class as a shotgun shooter, I, my eyes don't work very well, but I worked my tail off. Now, have you ever I shot? Found something that I loved as much as I love, you know, acting. Yeah. Have you ever shot, have, since you do shooting, um, Joe Matania was on the show one time, uh, on our show oh, one he's time. Afraid. He's a shooting friend oh, of mine. Oh, yes. He's big time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I didn't oh, know yeah. if you've, you've shot with him or not. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. We did. We did what they call celebrity shoots, and I always laugh, and I think, well, I'm not the celebrity, but, you know, at least I'm getting a free ticket. <laughs> but Joe is great. What a wonderful man he is. Mm. And what a wonderful actor. Oh, yeah. 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 Now, yeah, I know Joe, and he has definitely supports the shooting sport. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny, too. Everyone talks about how, you know, you need to be a conservative to be a shooter, and the liberals all hit guns. Well, that's wrong. Mm-hmm. That's dead wrong. I'm a liberal, and I love to shoot. Yeah. yeah, but I follow all the rules. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it has nothing to do with your political point of view that you want the right to support shoot. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's just that they can cause all kinds of havoc, and that's really with what's going on in you know sort of these mass shootings and whatnot. It's a totally different subject. Right. Oh yeah. 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 Now you've done so many other roles, like you say, that people don't realize, um, but you've also performed with a lot of different people, including Johnny Depp, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, lucky me, right? <laughs> I didn't know that yeah. until I did my research. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I worked with Johnny when he was 19 years old. Wow. And such such a great kid. Very, very nice. Now, what was that before um, he did 21 Jump Street? I think it was. It probably was, yeah. I'm trying to think back. It was on a terrible, terrible, terrible movie <laughs> that neither of us should have been in, and it was supposed to be rewritten and with a very good guy, a very good writer-director, and then he ended up pulling out, and none of us knew he'd pulled out, and we all ended up in Florida to shoot this movie, and then nobody had rewritten the script, and it was terrible. Oh, it was terrible, and the guy who directed it had only edited porn. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I mean, I found that out later, and the producer took all their footage to Israel, cut the film out of sequence, and then destroyed the other footage. Oh, so the film is so bad, and the people in it are wonderful. Mm-hmm. Hector Elizondo. Yes. Jack, Rob Morrow, mm-hmm. uh, Andrew Clay, Andrew Dice Clay at the time. Yep, yep. Like Dodie Goodman. I mean, for those, you know, if you have an audience member that's my age, I remember Dodie oh, Goodman. Oh, yeah, I remember Dodie. She was on a Match Game a lot, right? Oh, yes, and so funny, and such a nice gal. And we were all in Florida together in Key Largo. Couldn't have been a nicer location. Shooting this awful script. <laughs> Awesome script. Oh, oh my God. And they overlit the room on me and it looks like I'm running around with no clothes on. 
and put that to SAG, got a contract clause thing so the future people won't be in that same situation. Hmm. Uh, but Johnny was so terrific. And what was funny is that last day we were leaving Key Largo to come back to L.A. to shoot. He asked me if I would sign his script. He was such a kid, you know, just yeah. a baby. Yeah. And I said, well, if you'll sign mine. And so we stood there, you know, it was like yearbook things, you know, signing each other's scripts. He wrote the nicest things. I mean, just really sweet. And I will say that all of my life, hmm. you know, from him. Yeah. Yeah. He was great. I worked with George Clooney, too, and I, the really? two of them, the two people, we worked on a TV show. He was starring with Lee Horsley in a show called, I think, Bodies of Evidence in the 90s. And so I spent a week doing the story. His storyline was, was mine. You know, I was trying to protect the killer. And um, I used to say to him, every day I'd say, why aren't you the biggest star in the world? You are funny, you're smart, you're a good actor, and you're gorgeous. And he'd say, it'll happen, you just wait. He's a funny guy, always doing practical jokes. Sure enough, look what happens to George Clooney. Oh, yeah. It had to happen to him. Johnny Depp, the same thing, at 19, when we would hang out a little bit, I would say, listen, just be really, really careful about this business that may try to gobble you up. But what you have is golden. And just remember that. You know, be true to yourself. Because, you know, didn't know if he was 19, if he was going to go on in the business or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the two guys that I just knew it, you know, it was yeah. with Johnny and with George. Just you just knew it. Him, huh? You knew that you were stopping, you, you, you know, I'd stop along the line and you just could see them going, going, going. And uh, that's when the business seemed to be right to me, you know? Yeah, yeah. The business itself has made the right choice. Hmm. But many other people too, but those two just stand out in my mind because they were so gorgeous. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Now, people may not realize, but you are uh, quite a singer, also, right? Well, I used—that's how I started, right? Yeah, you know, in the business. Yeah, and, and you I sang just, at the Super Bowl, the right? That, I did, and I just did a demo for a new musical, which we're going to do in LA as a radio, as a radio show, live. You know, with a live audience. Wow! Based on the on Bluebeard, you know, the guy that killed all his wives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I'm playing all of his wives. Wow. <laughs> yes, they're all different nationalities. This should be really... And I did the demo on the music and trying to be French, German, Cockney, and proper British in the four songs that we did. Oh, I feel like I was losing my mind. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, you mean you had to do all the voices in one song or each song? In one, in, in, each song is a different, was a oh, different Why? Good, because I was going to say, if you had to do the voice in every one song, and I mean, that would be confusing. <laughs> Really confusing and would make no sense anyway. So, <laughs> but it's just Marvin Kaplan has written this mu- this uh, musical, and you may know who Marvin yes, is. Yes, I do. Yeah. Yes, I mean, what a talent Marvin is, and funny. He's in his eighties, and he's written his first musical. Yeah, and he he was actually on our show. <laughs> I had him as uh, last year. Marvin. Yes. Okay, Marvin. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> It is, it is, uh, it is, this is, I guess it's his second musical. I mean, wrote the first one in his 80s, too. And uh, I did that one on Rage for Radio. Huh. And it was pretty funny. This one is just, his lyrics are hysterical. Wow. But, yeah, I mean, I and I and I sang the Super Bowl, and that was just out of the blue. That was because my was on Laverne and Shirley, and my husband wanted free tickets to go to the to Anaheim Stadium to see Rod Carew play with the Angels. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was determined he was going to get free tickets, so he called up. He called up the organization and offered up his wife for the anthem. <laughs> and I came home from Laverne and Shirley, which was always long days, you know. And 
He said, oh, by the way, you know, I know you're off next week on Monday, but you're going to sing the National Anthem, Anaheim. So I went, what? What? Wow. I said, I can't sing that by myself. You always sing that in a group. So anyway, I sang it, and we, we got there, and the gal, I sang, and then the, Yankee, the Yankees were playing them, and then the Yankees started to request me um, when they were playing in Anaheim. And so I went out and did it a few times, and the girl who was, doing all the pregame uh, planning for the Super Bowl, heard the anthem, and she said, that's the one I want in the Super Bowl. Wow. So Pete Rozelle was the commissioner and contacted him, and to a lot of very, very funny serendipity moments, I got chosen. Jeez. Huh. Scariest thing I've ever done in my life. I would think so, because everybody yeah. is watching the, the opening of the game, and you hear people talk about who sang the national anthem and what oh. they did to it. Did they and do they a good job apart. or did they tear it apart? <laughs> right, right, right. It's just this focus for so much kind of animus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I did it a cappella with a little trumpet intro, and that's what I always did because I just figured if you try to stay with somebody and you've got like a three-minute lag time between what you're singing and what people are getting over the microphone, mm-hmm. you know, all the, all the loudspeakers, there's no way you can stay together. So I just did it a cappella, and I found my own way to do it, and got chosen, and almost missed the Super Bowl because because the limo driver couldn't find the Rose Bowl, and it was before cell phones. Barely made it. I mean, they wouldn't let me park back in the back, and I was late. I had to run it like half a mile carrying oh, my dress. Vernon, the Vernon's really makeup in here. I came over to the hotel where I was staying. It got me all ready. But I was carrying the darn dress with high heel boots, and I had to run to get inside the the stadium area, then they the people back there said, Go to the trailer and I ran to this trailer, I dropped the dress over my head, ran out and I ran through that tunnel where the team players go, right? Where the team players, where the football players mm-hmm, go. Yeah. And nobody's in it of course because they've already started the pregame show. Yeah. Right? The skydivers are diving, the music is going. I ran through that tunnel, lickety split, got to the got to the, the field and you know, I could feel my heels Get, you know, digging into the thing, and uh, I mean, it was it was like grass flying after me. And I saw my microphone from rehearsal the day before, and I ran to the mic, and I thought, I'm going to die. I can't sing. I have no breath. And they announced a moment of silence for Bear Bryant. So I stood there, and I thought, I'm from Nebraska. He was Alabama. We were rivals. So I said, Bear Bryant, you are saving my ass and my career. <laughs> and I just breathed and breathed and breathed, and finally calmed down, and they said, please rise for the singing of the National Anthem, Leslie Eusebrook. And I turned around, and I looked at my President Reagan's honor guard just standing behind me, and I looked at one of these guys, and I said, if I screw this up, shoot me. If they had the guns, you know. <laughs> I turned around, I heard them giggling, and then my introduction started, and I said, okay, we're all laughing. I caught my breath. I was saying it. Jeez. Mm, <laughs> it was the scariest thing I ever did. Now, what was the feedback for you for that one? Did they? It, it was great. People were nice enough not to be cruel. <laughs> <laughs> it really was great, and and several papers said it was the best one ever. And I didn't come with an entourage; I came with my mother. Yeah. Um, wow. And just really nice things. And and the Arizona Republic, like every year or so, will talk about their favorites, and I think I'm like one, either one or two. I mean, there, some people liked it. Yeah. It was just so traditional, you know. It was just very traditional. Yeah, but you know, I hear so many people say that you know if somebody does it differently, they don't like it because they they feel traditional is the way it should be. 
and uh, it's you know so that's that's good. <laughs> well, there are the traditionalists, but there are also the people out there in the, sort of the music world, right? That yeah. that want to be like jazz or want to have some liberties taken with it. And I always figure we have one national anthem. Let's do it as a team, America. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not everybody can do all the scats. And the, I mean, I would love to be able to do a lot of that stuff. But I, I, to me, it's just it's something that I I, I treasure it. Mm, I'm sure. Jeez, just I mean, as it's written. quite an honor. <laughs> yeah, and I treasure the experience of being chosen. It just it's like, why you know oh, yeah. why me why me? <laughs> it was because. <laughs> My ex-husband wanted to see a free baseball game, <laughs> and I'm standing here. I'm standing here, catching my breath, not knowing if I can hit a note. <laughs> Jeez! Oh God, you just hit some highlights. I'll tell you. Thank you for <laughs> dragging this. You know these old stories out of me. Yeah. Well, what oh, about of all the things you've done? Now, you know, I mean, people remember you for Laverne and Shirley. We remember you for uh, the Police Academy stories, and uh, but but for you personally. What do you feel was your your favorite or your your best performance? And it may be one wow. of those. I don't know, but I mean, you know, how how is it for you? Yeah, my favorite of all of it. It's not going to be probably what you'd expect, but it is my performance in in the Devil's Reject. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you why, because what, what why that is is that we sometimes we don't know how far we can go in any direction, and as an actor, and we're not really pushed. Mm-hmm. Yep. And Mother Firefly was a wonderful push into the dark side for me. And it was like, it, it's a kind of release of knowing that I can be completely and totally insane and in control at the same time. Yeah. And that's something that you don't ever know because you never push yourself there in life. So you don't know if you have the ability to put all of your preconceived notions of who you are and all of those safety zones that we have in life, mm-hmm. um, if you can put those aside and trust. Mm-hmm. So that's, in, in maybe it, 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 somebody else would look at it and go, God, how can she like this? You know, it's nothing to do with how it turned out. It's how it felt and then how it was received by the public. Right, yeah. It gave me a validation to know that I can push myself really, really far but not hurt myself or really hurt anyone else. Yeah. And I guess it's it's that kind of thing. You don't you don't look. I don't look to push the envelope. You know, I just finished, not just finished, but it won't be out for a while. A film called Greater, and it's about a true it's a true story of uh, Brandon Burlsworth, who was a football player and a wonderfully interesting character in Arkansas. And he was the first all American, the first walk on to ever become an all American. And he was signed with a professional team. He was a kid with slight OCD and things holding him back, but he was determined and. What he accomplished by doing that, then he was signed by the Colts and was killed in a terrible traffic accident. But his whole story of determination and faith is extremely, extremely uh, touching. And I was I was chosen to play his mother, who was his guide, and basically sort of his, his the person who helped him with all of the faith to do this. And she's still living, and they have a and they have a um, um, what do you call it um, foundation. And they help kids all over the world get glasses for children that can't can't afford them. And they just do so much with this foundation and his memory. And I was chosen to play this woman. And that was another form of pushing. 
It's like I didn't know that I had the goodness in me to play that woman. Like I didn't know I had the badness in me to play Mother Firefly. Right. Yeah. And playing Barbara, and Barbara Grills was sitting on the set with me one day. When she told me that she cried at a scene that I did and she just heard the audio when we were shooting, it was like having somebody shoot you with that, that pill that is, I'm invincible. Mm-hmm. Now, we're not invincible, but you have, we have moments where we feel that, that we're bigger than we thought we were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's some act of generosity that, that you do, you know, which could be considered dangerous by others. But it's that kind of thing where you know you've pushed yourself. Yeah. You've pushed yourself yeah. into an, an, a territory where you might have been uncomfortable. Hmm. And if an audience can get something from that, then it it's just, you know, it's like gravy. Right, yeah, oh yeah. There's all the hard work, but then there's the gravy. Hmm. It's got me thinking here, you know. But I have a lot of films that I've just, just done. Some are very tiny, tiny, tiny little films. I'm trying to help new filmmakers and learning so much. And then greater is a little bigger film, and... What I'm doing in Denver is a little bigger film, and then all these different characters and whatnot that are coming to me after doing Devil's Rejects that seem to open like a little Pandora's box of opportunity. Well, that's great. Um, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I feel like I'm in a position now at 106 years old where I can learn. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me tell you something. If you're, if you're 106 years old, you look really, really good. <laughs> and I'm really glad that you didn't clean your glasses when you came by. <laughs> <laughs> I feel every day like I'm just getting started. Yeah, you know that there's so much there's so much out there to learn and do. <laughs> well, Leslie, well, thank you so much for sharing with us, Leslie. We really do appreciate oh, it. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. You have no idea, and uh, call me anytime. What a lovely guest, Leslie Easterbrook. I want to thank her so much. I met uh, Leslie, and I asked her if she would be a guest here at On Screen and Beyond, and I was so pleased that she agreed to come on the show, and uh, just a wonderful lady, so much to talk about, and I hope you enjoyed that one. I want to thank her so much for taking the time to talk to us here at On Screen and Beyond, and uh, be sure to check out, if you haven't seen the original Police Academy, be sure to check that out. That is one crazy movie, so if you haven't seen it, check it out. It's a lot of fun. Well... It's getting uh, closer to uh, Christmas and the holiday season and everything else. And uh, we're going to probably look at some special things that have come out that, that we've had a chance to preview here at uh, On Screen and Beyond and uh, some books and things. We'll let you know next week. We're going to talk about that, some DVDs that we've had a chance to look at that haven't come out yet. And uh, a lot of good stuff. We're going to tell you about that in a little sort of a holiday preview, something to get gifts, you know, that'll be easy and quick to get. And uh, we'll be doing that. So that's it. That's a wrap for another episode of On Screen and Beyond. I thank you all for joining us. And I love your emails, love hearing from you. Just so much going on. I know it's a busy time. I hope you're going to keep telling people to listen to On Screen and Beyond. Be sure to join us next week. When we once again take you on screen and beyond, I'm Brian Zemrak. Take care.